Yeah. Hey, good morning, Resonate. How are you all doing? Are you there, Resonate? Come on. There we go. Hey, I want to celebrate with you guys this morning because some of your faithfulness has led to planting the Hayward campus many years ago. So welcome Hayward this morning. But then your faithfulness has also led to starting a church in Oakland as well. And they're joining us again this morning for the second time. And so aren't you excited about God's work, his kingdom going forward? I love it how you guys have been the ones to go tell it on the mountain. That, that's what the church is. You are being the church with your finances, with every part of you. And this is why the gospel is spreading across the Bay Area. I'm, I'm so excited. Okay, so I, I'm going to start, I'm going to take a risk this morning and do an impression, okay? And, uh, and, and I just want to see if you know who this is, okay? I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it. Come on, help me out. Buddy the Elf, Buddy the Elf right? Oh man, I'm kind of dizzy from doing that all of a sudden. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not a spinny guy, but I'm not a dancer. I don't know if you knew that. I'm not a dancer, but uh, um, yeah, Buddy the Elf, he, uh, you know, so Buddy the Elf goes to Gimbel's, the store, and uh, he looks across and he sees Josie, another gal who is dressed like an elf, and he falls in love with her, and eventually they get married and the whole nine yards, but when he's, when he is just beginning in love, he can't contain himself. He has to say, I'm in love, I'm in love, right? Have you, have you ever had such good news like that that you can't contain it? Ever had news like that? I, a few weeks ago, so I'm a huge U2 fan. U2 is a band from Ireland, in case you don't know who they are. And uh, they, they're one of my favorite bands, have been a part of my trajectory my entire life. My kids know their songs. And uh, they got invited to play at the Sphere, which is you know, a new... Uh, venue in Las Vegas cost 2.3 billion dollars. It's an amazing venue, and uh, they got asked to open this with with one of their concerts. And I thought, as a U2 fan and really as a tech fan too, I want to be there for that show. And uh, it was done by the lottery system, you know, because there's way too many people that wanted to go, and so they said, put your name in, you know, and and on the morning of the tickets, I'm sale that happened. I'm, I'm sitting there just waiting, like, is it going to... And I got tickets, you guys. I got tickets. And so I'm, I was like so ecstatic about this, and I'm in my office by myself, and I just, I'm like looking around going, I've got to go tell somebody about this. And so I ran out of my office, and the only guy who was in the office that morning was Dylan, our student ministries director. And I'm like, Dylan, guess what? I just got you two tickets at the Sphere. And I, I don't even know if Dylan knows who U2 is. He probably thinks that that's Taylor Swift's dad or something like that, you know. Um, but Dylan was so gracious because he's like, yes! And he celebrated with me. You know, it was the good, I couldn't contain it. I had, to, I had to share with somebody what just happened. Have you had news like that? Maybe it's the promotion you've got. Maybe it's that you just got engaged. We had a young lady in our office that just got engaged a couple of weeks ago. And even though it happened over the weekend, we couldn't wait for her to come in on the Monday morning so she could share the story with us of what had just happened and how her life has just changed permanently. So exciting. Maybe it's you got into a college. Maybe it's you're retiring and you're You've been waiting your whole life for this moment of, I'm done with this work, and I need somebody to know it. Well, 
the, the carol that we are singing this morning is Go Tell It on the Mountain. And really, it's this. It's a story about something. That, it, it's, the, it's the news that cannot be contained. It's them saying, we want to be up on the mountain above everything, saying this down to every. We don't want any distractions. This news is so good that we cannot contain it. You know, almost every singer um, from Frank Sinatra to Mercy Me has a version of this song. You, if you check it out on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, you're going to find there's an indie version, there's a lo-fi version, there's a pop version, there's a funk version, uh, there's a VGM version, there's even a Chipmunks version of this song. And I, I know this is difficult to hear, but I took one for the team this week and listened to a country western version of this song just because I was trying to get my heart in the right place. Now, What's, what's interesting about this song, though, is oftentimes it is celebrated, it's, it's like a celebration. You know, this is one of those joyful, joyful songs. But when you know the origin of it, it actually makes it that much more powerful because this, this song is actually a spiritual written by the slaves. So you can imagine a oppressed group of people, a people who weren't even considered human, a people who cannot change their life circumstances at all and they wrote this song and, and really interesting to me because you know is this a joyful celebration and, and I was talking to my wife about it my wife I love telling her you know this is what I'm planning on preaching what do you think about this I love her giving input into it and she said do you really know what was going on in those songs when the spirituals were written by the slaves, because it wasn't celebration, it was actually coping. In fact, the great American abolitionist Frederick Douglass, he says this, check out this quote, I have often been utterly astonished since I came to the north to find persons who could speak of singing among slaves as evidence of their contentment and happiness. It is impossible to conceive of a greater mistake. Slaves sing most when they are most unhappy. The songs of the slave represent the sorrows of his heart, and he is relieved by them only as an aching heart is relieved by its tears. Whew. Now, rather than that taking away from something from this song and the celebration that it is, it actually, to me, adds an amazing amount to this song. Why? Because this song is a bunch of people who are broken, giving God glory. They're worshiping God despite what's happening around them. But it's also a song where they're singing about the gospel and they are replicating this. They are telling their children and their grandchildren the story of the gospel, probably a, a group of people who would never have the chance to read, and yet they're continuing on in the gospel tradition. But then it, it, it not only is worshipful towards God, it's not only sharing the good news, it's also coping with the brutality of life. Now, I just ask you, what is a song, what is a story, what is something that we could sing about that would actually give us that much ammunition for glorifying God, for sharing with other people, for coping with the, the difficulty of life? And it's simply this, it's the story that Jesus Christ is born. Amen? Amen. That's the... That's the beauty of this. So we're going to look at this, 
song this morning, and we're going to do it through the lens of Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. So would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and here's what we're going to look at as we, as we go through it. There's really three points that I have this morning. When we are desperate for good news, we will go tell it on the mountain. When we have a healthy fear of good news, we'll go tell it on the mountain. And when we know the good news, we'll go tell it on the mountain. So let's stand together. Let's look into God's word. And I love it when our pastor says this. He says that, you know, we stand for the reading of God's word because this is the, this is the best part of the sermon that you're going to hear is straight reading from God's word. I love it. So in Luke chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way to verse 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went in haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's word for this morning. Praise be to God. You may be seated. So here's my first thought. When we are desperate for good news, we will go tell it on the mountain. The carol actually says it like this. While shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night, behold, throughout the heavens there shone a holy light. Now, I, I need to apologize to you guys uh, right off the top here. I am not a good poet, okay? Um, my high school English teacher is probably super frustrated with me because I read all those books that were sort of um, allegories and illustrations for something much greater in life, and I'm just like, that was a good story. You know, it just went over my head. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever read poetry and you're like, I have no idea what that's talking about because it's so literal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, are you guys with me? Like, am I the only one who is like this? Like, 
So, some of you get poetry. I know you do. And others of you are like, yeah, I'm totally with you, but I'm embarrassed to admit it, right? That, I'm sure that's what's going on this morning. But in this passage, there are three words that are really poetic. And, you know, the poetry, what, what it's doing is it's giving a word, but it's illuminating something much bigger. And, and so in, in the verse where it says, while shepherds kept their watching over silent flocks by night... The three words there, shepherds and silent and night, actually give us a, a, a bandwidth that's much bigger than what we're just reading here. In fact, if you, if you study shepherds uh, from this time period, they are the lowest people in the economy. Um, they're uneducated, they have no real skills, so people are like, why don't you just go out and watch sheep? They're alone for a large period of time, which means they're probably not really well known for their social skills, and they probably did not own their own sheep. They're probably watching them on behalf of somebody else. And here's the other thing. They're expendable. Because when you send a shepherd out to watch sheep, there's lots of wild animals out in the wilderness where they sent them that would have come against them. And these people are like, well, I can send that person out there. I can send that person out there. They would have felt themselves to be expendable. Now, wouldn't that be the group of people that would say, we're desperate for good news? We're broken. Like nobody's, nobody's giving us time of day. Nobody is paying attention to us. Nobody thinks we're valuable. Nobody thinks that we have anything to offer the world. We are expendable. They're desperate for good news. But it's not just shepherds. It's also the word silent. If you've ever heard the phrase, the silence is deafening, it applies here. Why? Because you know, from the time that the Old Testament comes to an end to the time the New Testament is started to be written, uh, the two parts of the Bible, there's 400 years of silence. So you can imagine there's tons of prophecies that are written in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, the first seven verses that we read are just chock full of prophecies that are coming true. Almost every verse is this answers this prophecy, this answers this prophecy, this answers this prophecy. And they've all been prophesied in the Old Testament. But from the time that that is done to the time that Jesus is born is a period of about 400 years, there's silence and it's deafening. And maybe you've heard of the phrase, the dark night of the soul, where you're just longing for God to say something. God, are you there? Have you abandoned me? This is the way these people felt. And so the silence is huge. And what is it? It makes us desperate for the good news. Desperate. And then we also have the word night. Night in this context means a lot more than dust to dawn. It, if, if you look at the picture of oppression under the treachery of the Roman government, under Augustus and the Roman census, if you look at the fact that Mary had to walk 90 miles. Now, could we just get any woman who's ever been pregnant before to say, I would love to walk 90 miles. That sounds like a great idea when you're almost about ready to give birth. I mean, I, I feel sorry for pregnant women in the summer when it gets hot. Mary had to walk 90 miles. There's no empathy. There's no grace for her. And then it's not only nighttime because of the Romans. It's not only nighttime because of the treachery here, but it's also... Um, the brokenness of the world, and you see it when it says there was no place for her in the inn. Wow. 
you mean we've got a group of people that are so insensitive that a lady who is about to give birth, nobody is willing to give their hotel room up to her, and she's got to go down into the carport or into the stable and give birth around the cows and the sheep and the cattle that are down there? Are you kidding me? This is not just giving up a bus seat. This is a woman who is about to give birth. And you got to feel the weight of this, the nighttime that is around here. So the shepherds, the silence, the night, they're desperate for something to happen, desperate for good news. And we need to stop and just feel what's going on here. In fact, it's, it's like what Isaiah says in Isaiah 9-2, those who dwelt in a land of, he describes it, deep darkness. Not just darkness, deep. It's like that kind of light that you cannot get used to, that kind of darkness that you cannot get used to. Your eyes can't adjust to it. Seems pretty hopeless out there. There's not much of chance of this situation changing. We need some good news. We're desperate for it. But can I tell you this morning that de- being desperate is actually a good thing? Um, when Jesus starts preaching, you can read this in Matthew chapter 5, when he starts to bring the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing he says to them is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is, those who know that they have a need are going to pick up on that need. And God can speak into that. No wonder the angel came to the shepherds. It was like, those guys are desperate for good news. They, and if you are desperate, if you are broken, maybe, maybe, maybe your life is going great this morning and your bank account is full and everything's great, but at the end of the day, you're just not content. There's just something like, you know there's something more to life than having a, roof over your head, having meals, having a savings and a retirement account, a few vacations a year, you know that there's something more to life than that and you are desperate for good news. Do you know what the the scripture says? You're in a good spot. And do you know that the, the world around us is desperate for good news? Do you know they need to hear it? You know, I was having um, lunch with a, a couple of friends about a month ago and we were talking about the possibility of starting a, a Resonate campus in the Tri-Valley area in Pleasanton, Dublin, and Livermore, where I know many of you come from. Would you be excited about that? Yeah. I'd be stoked about that. And so we were praying about this, and, the, and one of the, the gentlemen at the, the table, he said, you need to know something about the Tri-Valley area, and it is that people on the surface look like they have it all together but underneath there's a spirit of discontent and brokenness. And I think, there's no better place to plant a church than that, than people who are willing to admit that they're broken, than people who are willing to say, we're desperate for some good news, because in a sense we got it all. We got the money, we got the kids, we got the school, we got the whatever it is, we got it. And yet our hearts are still empty. See, being desperate for good news is really a prerequisite for going and telling it on the mountain. Thankfully, the carol doesn't stop there. Um, it says, Behold, throughout the heaven there shone a holy light. Lift up your heads, because there is hope. And then the carol gives us the second 
verse. The shepherds feared and trembled when lo, above the earth, rang out an angel chorus that hailed the Savior's birth. Here's the next thought. When we have a healthy fear of the good news, we will go tell it on the mountain. Now, when Luke tells the story of the shepherds, he tells us they were afraid, and then the angel told them not to be afraid. This is the bipolar part of Christianity. Be much afraid, don't be afraid at all. (laughs) You know, like, what do you do with this? And, And I just want to tell you this morning that actually... Being fearful and not fearing are both important parts of our faith. So when, when the angels showed up, it says in our carol, the shepherds feared and trembled. I think that's a really good response. I mean, if you had been a shepherd and you were out on the side of the mountain watching your sheep, and you're going through the desert watching your sheep, and just night after night after night nothing has happened, then all of a sudden the... Uh, an angel shows up, you'd be like, what? Right? In fact, there's a little-known verse to this carol which basically says the, the uh, shepherds had to go change their, their pants <laughs> because they were so scared. We don't sing about it because it's kind of embarrassing to them. And I think God was like, okay, we'll wipe that, carol, that verse off the carol right there. But here's the beauty of this. You need to be in awe of God. You need to know that God is capable, that he's sovereign, that he's over all things. And when the angel shows up, this isn't some guy just bringing news. This isn't like the, somebody on horseback runs up and says, hey, you want to know what's going on in the village over here? No, this is an angel of God who is saying, the mighty, sovereign God of all creation is speaking down to you, the shepherd. Oh, we need to be in awe of God. In fact, Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And he's not talking about being terrified of God. He's talking about living in holy reverence and awe. We need to know, we need to believe that our God is capable. And that's why an angel shows up. But then the first thing the angel says is, Fear not. Fear not. In fact, what, what does he say? In 1 John four eighteen, it says that perfect love drives out all fear. The angel shows up and he says, fear not, because I've, I have come to give you good news of great joy that is for all people. Live in awe of God, but also know that you are loved by God. That's the comparison here. That's the bipolar part of the difficulty here, is yes, when you live in awe of the beauty and the splendor of God, but you know you are completely loved, you have a healthy fear that's going to help you go tell it on the mountain. So you need to see God as all-powerful. A songwriter says, the nights you filled with fireworks, they left you with nothing. Um, do you know like so many, so many of the promises, so many of the things that we hear, so much of the quote good news are just fireworks. They go up in the sky, they blow off. There's nothing left after them except a memory. Uh, well, that was cool. Oftentimes there's nothing even coming back down to earth. It's just gone. It just dissipates. 
And that is the majority of the good news that we receive. But not with God. The good news that we have with God is much more than a firework. It's the God who reigns over all eternity. Imagine what the slaves were thinking when they were writing this spiritual. And they're saying, our God is over any one of our masters. God has something better. He is capable. He is able. Yes, we might be stuck here right now, but our God is sovereign. He's over it all. And then they saw that they were loved. Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. The shepherds feared and trembled. And they sang that hailed the Savior's birth. They feared God, but then they feared not. We have to have a healthy fear of good news if we're going to go tell it on the mountain. But this, the carol gives us a third verse. It says, Down in a lonely manger, the humble Christ is born, and God sent us salvation this blessed Christmas morn. See, here's, here's my third and final point. It says, When we know the good news, we will go tell it on the mountain. Now, you guys learned I'm a U2 fan, but here's another fun fact. I'm also a sock fan. You guys like socks? Yeah, socks are amazing, uh, especially, don't, you know, not with sandals though, okay? <laughs> if you're doing that, dad, don't do it, okay? It's, uh, it's not a good idea. But, um, you know, I love good socks, and I, and I kind of grew up with regular, like, tube socks or, you know, just like those kind of socks that when you put them on your feet, the heel, like, puffs up right here. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they just, and... It's like one of those socks that whether you're in third grade or whether you're a grown man, it's like one size fits all. That's a total lie. They, it's not one size fits all. And then there was this one day when somebody introduced me to smart wool socks. Oh, smart wool socks are amazing. Because here's the thing. I, if I was rich enough, I would buy a new pair of socks every morning because I want my foot to be hugged in the morning just like my wife hugs me. You know, like, that's like one of the luxuries of life right there, that your foot gets a hug, and then that sock that just holds your foot all day so tightly without making it sweat, like that's a, hmm, right? This is, this is good. So when someone introduced me to smart wool, I was like, oh, I'm set, because you can stick these socks in the washing machine over and over and over again. And they come back and they still hug your feet tightly and beautifully. Wow. <laughs> Listen, if you want to get your dad something for Christmas <laughs> and you want to make his heart happy and you want to tell him he is the best dad in the world, smart, smart wool socks. Amazing. I'm not kidding, you guys. Like, <laughs> Now, here's, here's my point. Don't good products sell themselves? When you know something that is good about something, don't you just want to tell people about it? I can't tell you how many people I have bought smart wool socks. I've gone over and stayed at friends' houses, and, and just because they've invited me and let me stay there, I'm like, I'm sending you some smart wool socks. You spoke at a conference for us. I'm going to buy you some smart wool. It's going to change your life in the same way that you changed my life with the message that you gave me, Right? Good news 
proliferates itself. It, it, it. Now, I want you to know I've been a Christian for many years, um, but it was, it's not always been that the message of Christianity was good news to me. I didn't really want to share the message of Christianity because when I was growing up, the message that I was taught a lot was just try harder. Like here's all the good things that you should do. You should do those things. Just behave better. Here's some morality that you should have. I know your friends are doing all the fun stuff over there, but here's your morality that you should have, and this is what you should do. And I feel like that was the message that I heard all the time. And one other message I heard was, God is unhappy with me and doesn't really like me. Like I felt like I was constantly disappointing God. Man, that is, that's not fun news to tell. Like, have you ever told someone about people that are disappointed with you? Like, that's a sad bit of news. That's not good news at all. And in fact, there was, a, there was a point where I just stopped reading the New Testament because I felt like every time someone taught out of the New Testament, it was a new to-do list. Oh, look what Jesus did. You should do those things too. Oh, look what Jesus did. You should, you should do... And, and someone actually told me in my daily devotional life, my reading of God's Word... Don't stop reading until you found something to do out of God's word. Wow. Talk about a burden that was on my back that I was like trying to carry that just began to break me. It wasn't good news. Because if Christianity is just a to-do list, then let's face it, it's not a good news. It's not good news at all. And for me, um, I had to learn how to start getting brave and wrestle with all those things that people were saying was Christianity and find out what the good news of Christianity really is. And I had to start wrestling with cultural Christianity. I had to start wrestling with how colonialism was kind of synchronized with the message of the gospel and had taken it off course. I had to find out how Victorian Christianity had sort of done something really weird to the priesthood of the believers. And I began to dig into that. And I had to wrestle with evangelical and fundamental fundamentalism. And, and it's places where well-meaning people over-exaggerated parts of the Scripture while neglecting other parts of the Scripture. Maybe you grew up in a specific denomination. Maybe you grew up Catholic. Maybe you grew up Protestant, and yet you know that there were parts that were exaggerated over other parts, and parts were neglected. Maybe you got more truth than grace. Maybe more rules than love. And see, I found out that the difference between what I had been taught and the good news, when I found that out, the difference between that over there and this over here, when I started really understanding who Jesus is and his love for us, man, I, I can't stop telling it on the mountain now. When you really know the good news, you won't be able to stop telling it. See, it's like smart wool socks. I took off the old socks. I put on the smart wool socks. I tested them out. I began to see that these socks are worth sharing about. 
And sure enough, I think like the majority of the conversations I've had after the service are about smart wool socks, which I hope that you don't go away with that. I hope that what you go away with is the gospel is beautiful and it's worth getting to. It's worth trying to decipher what is the message that I got that is not the good news about Jesus? Where is the good news about Jesus? See, I love what happens in our passage. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. See, I would have thought that if, if, if I was there as a shepherd on the side of a hill and an angel showed up, I'd have been like, I'm good. If, if an angel shows up and tells me good news, I'm probably going to believe it. But not these guys. They're like, we're going to go down and kick the tires. We're going to go check it out and make sure what, he's, what the angel said is true. And I love that. And I just wonder, are we willing to do the work of getting to the real Jesus, to the real gospel? Are we willing to go check it out for ourselves? What did they find when they went to check it out for themselves? Well, what's interesting, if you read all the way from verses 1 through 20, there's actually seven different descriptions of who Jesus is. But our carol points to three specific descriptions. It says, down in a lonely manger, the humble Christ was born. Now, can I tell you, if all you had was this go tell it on the mountain carol, you would have a complete picture of the gospel. And, and it's right here, down in a lonely manger. That's the gospel. You know, you know how I know that? Because throughout all eternity, and even today, many of us are still trying to reach to God. You're trying to be good enough. You're trying to behave well enough. You're trying to know enough. You're trying to go to a church enough times. You're trying to be generous enough. You're trying to do more good than bad. And you, are no, you know in your heart it's not working, that you can never quite be good enough. It's like you, you do all these good things for a week and then you say that one word, like I did at dinner last night, that throws off every good thing that you've done this week. And you know. And so you've been trying, trying, trying to reach to God. And yet here's the beauty of what shifted here. Down in a lonely manger... God came to us. That's what he did. He's like, I, I know you guys can't get to me. I'm coming to you. Salvation has come. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. And if, if that's the only words you have down in a lonely manger, you're standing in a grocery store next to someone, and this song is playing in a grocery store, you've got the entire gospel. Do you know that Jesus came to us? You can stop trying to get to him. He has grace and mercy that exceeds in abundance for you. But it doesn't just say that. It says the humble Christ was born. Well, what does he mean? Well, the word humble, you know, in, in this context, it really means accessible. You ever been terrified of a baby? Maybe when they poop. But that's about it, right? Other than that, you're like, no, that that baby does not pose any risk to me whatsoever. In fact, they're just cute and cuddly and they're still going to grow into their good looks. You know, like they're going to get there. But you're not intimidated by that baby at all. 
That's Jesus. He's saying, I'm accessible to you. I am, his only two words when he gives his self-biography is he is gentle and lowly. He's accessible to us. But then he also says the humble Christ. What does Christ mean? It means the anointed one. And I think we're going back to the fear and fear not. The fear is he is the anointed one, the sovereign over all creation. The humble is fear not. See, they're getting to know the good news of the gospel. Do you see it? Do you see the beauty of what's going on here? Now, I, I can tell you, I've seen a lot of people um, walk away from Jesus or start to walk away. Probably you have too. You know, like you're having conversations with family members and they're like, I don't, I don't know if this church thing is for me. I don't know if Jesus is for me. And you know, one thing that's really helpful to do is just to pause with them and listen and say, will you tell me about the Jesus you know about? I have some nieces and some nephew who grew up in the church who um, they've walked away from church. And, as they, and I'm like, tell me what you heard. Like, tell me who you think Jesus is. And as they tell me the story, I'm like, yeah, that stinks. That's not good news at all. Like, what you heard in church, man, I... I'd be walking away too. But can I tell you the real good news? Can I tell you who Jesus is? Can I tell you what he's done? See, there's this beautiful passage in Luke chapter 7 where uh, they were, Jesus is walking around the the countryside and he's healing people and he heals this uh, deaf and mute person, person who is unable to communicate, either hear or speak. And as he does that, one of the whole crowd is like, that's incredible. And Jesus, he says to them, don't go tell anyone. I think that's hilarious. Don't you think that's, I mean, this is like the first prank that Jesus comes up with. I've given you a, I've given you a miracle, don't go tell anyone. There is no way they're going to be able to obey that. Because there's a static about what Jesus has done. And in fact, in Luke 7 verse 37, it says, they went and they said, Everything that he does is wonderful. That's our God. Do you, do you not know, like, if you were full of leprosy in those days and Jesus walked up to you, you would have been healed. If you were possessed with demons, you would have been healed. If you were deaf and mute, you would have been healed. He, he was gentle and lowly. You wouldn't have been afraid of him. You would have walked up to him and enjoyed his presence. You would have enjoyed his company. He would have enjoyed your company because he knows everything about you. In fact, remember the the woman at the well? She's like, come and see a guy who knew everything about me. He's known how many times I've been married. He knows how many times I've committed adultery. He knows my stigmas. He knows everything about me in life. And yet he likes me. He just sat there and talked to me. He was present with me. That's Jesus, humble and lowly. See, and that's what I'm... When you know the good news, you'll go tell it on the mountain. When you really understand who Jesus is and that he loves you like crazy, I think my fear is that most of us have stopped short. 
and you haven't really done what the shepherds did. Let's go find out. Let's go down to the manger. Let's go find this baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Do you know the good news? Can you be honest today? Is Jesus really good news to you? One of the the things that is mind-blowing to me is the slaves who were who the slaves who wrote this spiritual their masters were actually using the same scripture that they were singing about to enslave them and to justify the oppression against them and yet they didn't they didn't pause there and say well because our slave masters are using the holy words from Scripture to justify this, we're just going to dismiss it. No, they actually, they actually said, let's dive deeper. Let's go deeper into this. That's crazy, isn't it? Doesn't that give us space to go, I, I need to dive deeper into this. Like, I can't just dismiss it because some pastor's a crook. I can't just dismiss this because some church does not steward money well. I, I can't dismiss this because one of my aunts or uncles or grandparents are just jerks and they claim to be Christians. I can't dismiss it. I need to dig in and see who this Jesus really is because he's gentle and lowly. He's the humble, anointed one. This carol is about the good news. You can't sing it without bringing glory to God. You can't sing it without other generations hearing. You can't sing it without knowing this is going to help me cope with circumstances that I can never change. And they were desperate for good news, meaning they couldn't fix it, and yet they were able to tell it on the mountain. They had a healthy fear of good news. They knew that God had not forgotten them, and they knew that God was stronger than any slave master. And then they knew the good news. They knew their Savior was Jesus, the humble Christ, eternal hope. Just wonder, are you desperate for good news? If you're desperate for good news, can I tell you, you're probably closer than you think to knowing him. Do you have a healthy fear of good news? It's a beautiful thing to fear and fear not. Do you, do you know the good news? You know, um, I had a, a friend of mine, his name was Dirk, and when I was a punk kid, um, this man, you know, he could see that I wasn't really believing the good news and that I was questioning things. And he was one of those guys that, um, you know, when I questioned things at the church, uh, I scared a lot of people because I was like, that doesn't sound true to me. Like, this doesn't work. And I was, and I wanted to be someone who was honest. Like, I, I really believe that if God is who he says he is, he can handle all of our doubts and our questions and our skepticism. And Dirk was this guy who, he wasn't afraid of that. And in fact, he was one of those people who just, he knew the good news. And he was desperate for the good news. And I I remember just like saying some really jacked up things to him. And he would just be like, oh, let's talk about that. Let me point you to the real Jesus because I don't think that you, I don't think you know who the real Jesus is. And he would point me back to scripture and we would just read and talk and 
But more than anything, he was just a guy that enjoyed Jesus and made me so jealous. He was, he was a guy who, he would go tell it on the mountain. And I'll tell you, because of his faith, like I, my faith is different today. And I think about Buddy the Elf, you know, where he says, I'm in love, I'm in love, and I want the whole world to know it. And yet, the scriptures, because they are true, because Jesus is the anointed one, what do we say? We say, we are loved. We are loved, and we want the whole world to know it. Amen? Let's pray. God, we want to say thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you've spoken hope and peace and comfort today into all of our lives. God, that the hope that you've given us would help us to realize that when sin and temptation come this week, you're the humble anointed one that we can turn to. And you'll accept us and love us. God, thank you that you're the one that came to us. We did not have to come to you. Yeah, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Let's give God praise.